Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. This week, as always, we have another amazing guest for you. We have Noelle Cordeaux. Noelle is the CEO and co-founder of JRNI Coaching. She's also a feminist scholar, ICF certified coach, a speaker and sexologist who specializes in the relationship with the self. She has carved out a unique niche in the world of coaching. Combining positive psychology with clinical sexology to help her clients gain true progress. The experience of coaching entails intentionally creating a time for growth. Noelle partners with each of her clients to share her expertise and encourage a path of self-exploration and forward movement. Noelle holds a BA in literature from Rutgers University and a graduate certificate in executive and professional coaching from the University of Texas and Dallas. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Right here, right now, we have the beautiful Noelle Cordeaux. I wanted to say it in French, Cordeaux, but it's Cordeaux. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you so much. It's lovely to speak with you. Oh, it's awesome to have you on the show, and I can't wait to get into some of these juicy topics. So the way that we always love to start the show is we always love to ask our woman of inspiration her unique story. So Noelle, tell us, what inspired you to do what you do today? And my story is, um, it's a long one, but I'll keep it short and I'll give you the greatest hits. So as it stands right now, I am an accidental CEO. It is not something that I ever considered to be part of my life's journey. Um, I suffered from eating disorders and depression from a young age, went to university, fell into a relationship that would become a very unhealthy marriage. I got divorced at age 29. And at 29, stumbling out into the world for the first time, quite unsure of myself, I really didn't have high hopes for what I might become and what I might do in life. 
But I figured that there must be a way for people to find happiness. And so I stumbled upon the um, theories of learned helplessness by Martin Seligman, and it introduced me to the science of applied positive psychology. And to say that I fell intellectually head over heels in love is an understatement. And I decided to dedicate my life's work to specifically helping women find happiness, dig out of um, unhappy situations in which they may have lost power or agency. I became a coach. I also went back to graduate school at age 32. Um, I was accepted into a triple degree program. And as I was nearing completion of my PhD, uh, I accidentally founded a company. <laughs> which is today journey coaching. And I realized that I had to make a hard choice between pursuing my graduate studies and taking a massive leap of faith. And I did. And I left my um, life's work with my graduate studies, moved to Los Angeles at age 36, took the helm of my organization. And now three years later, here I am today, um, still very much in love with what I do. Oh, I love that you've become an accidental uh, CEO. So talk us through that. How did that happen? My co-founder and I, John Kim, set about building the company that we wished we had when we were coming up as coaches because it's a very undefined field. It's still little known in the public's consciousness. And um we really hit on this idea of community support, that you can rebuild yourself through others, that it's easier to launch yourself um, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually to the space that you want to inhabit when you have other people around you cheering you on. So we took a community-based approach to coach training, and that community is what drives me. That community is what drove me to take the leap was the idea of all of the beautiful souls that we have educated that needed this home, that needed this intellectual space to stay alive. Mm, and what are some of the topics, I guess, you really hone into? You know, there's, there's so many coaches out there. Sometimes they'll, they'll be like uh, based on brain science, emotional intelligence. What is yours? Our program is multidisciplinary, so it really is a smorgasbord. Um, the goal of the program is to expose our coaches to all of the above, to emotional intelligence, to neurobiology, to uh, powerful questioning, applied positive psychology, goal-setting theory. It's quite diverse. Uh, me specifically, my background and interest is applied positive psychology brain function and feminist studies. And so I combine all three in the way that I teach as only one of the instructors in our intensive, but also in my private practice. So how do we induce positive emotions and manipulate our brain into seeing the world in a more positive light? It's really fascinating. The work that introduced me um, to this world comes from Barbara Fredrickson. She's a heavy hitter in the world of applied positive psychology. She's at UNC Chapel Hill in the States, and she actually has a positive emotions laboratory where she studies the impact of positive emotions on the brain and body. And it turns out that different positive emotions have 
a chemical nutrient that almost mirrors the way that different fruits and vegetables give you a different vitamin nutrient. And so different positive emotions provide nutrients for your brain. So what we're talking about here is the lens that you see the world through, juxtaposed positive to negative, optimist to pessimist. And by inducing positive emotions, you can actually change the chemistry of your brain in order to see the world through a more optimistic lens. And of course, there's lots of different ways to explain that particular phenomenon. So, so maybe talk us through uh, an example just to really bring it to life so that we can really understand it. Sure. So love is truly the supreme emotion. That's the one that packs the chemical punch of all of the nutrients. So when someone experiences love, it's actually in micro moments of connection where you and another individual, and it could be a pet, um, have agreed. It's a micro moment of an agreement for mutual care. When you experience that micro moment of an agreement for, for a mutual care, uh, little bubbles of chemical impact start to form. So that's oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, and they begin to flood your body, not in the same way as a stress response does. That's rapid and fast acting, but in a very subtle pulsing way. And those chemicals are what lift depression. Those chemicals create a scenario in your brain where you can access more creativity, where you feel more open-minded, where you can see things uh, from a bird's eye perspective. And it, it literally changes the way that you feel internally and are able to access your brain. Another outcome that commonly happens when you induce positive emotions in this way with intention is that your durable social resources are expanded. So durable social resources are basically connections to other people. So the more positive emotions you bring into your life, the more essentially likable you become. You expand your social resources and that lends to lessened feelings of scarcity, isolation, and there is a broadening effect across lots of different life thresholds. Mm. So I'm curious, Noelle, because I know that it's uh, everything's going fast uh, to slow down and pause. It's it's the common uh, catchphrase people tell us, you know, you must slow down, you must pause to be able to connect with your emotions and get into your heart. But how does one really do that? How does one really understand their body stresses and then respond to them in a in a uh, a manner that's uh, manageable and um, applicable in the moment? Yes. So that's a two-part answer. So the the first part is that in, in order to get the sustained chemical punch from inducing a positive emotion. So remember now that these are pulsing less noticeable than negative emotions. So we need to have a lot more of them. And it's really the same way of thinking about fruits and vegetables. You know, if you eat just one carrot, it's not going to impact your health. But if you're consistently eating and giving your brain and body healthy foods, you're going to have a really strong impact. In order to 
sustain a positive emotion for chemical impact, you need to hold it in your mind for 10 to 20 seconds. And that is the act of savoring. When I work with clients on this, I ask them to use the sky. If they can't find anything else to feel good about, the sky is always beautiful. And you can always walk outside and hold your focus in appreciation of beauty, excellence, and awe on the sky for 10 to 20 seconds. And for your listeners, try this at home. Whether you're driving home from work or stepping outside for a bit of air, if you take the time to focus on the sky for 10 to 20 seconds, I guarantee it will begin to change your mood and your experience. The second part of this, the other piece that we have to understand is the relationship of positive emotions and negative emotions and how that works in our brain and bodies. And that really falls under the category of an evolutionary trait called negativity bias. So we are all here and alive today because our ancestors were very, very good at avoiding danger. And because there used to be problems that humans had to physically outrun, when you notice danger, your nervous system kicks in, there's that fight or flight response that comes on, and all of our systems are just flooded with cortisol, and it's a rapid response. And that was at one time really, really profound and useful. And now today we're stuck with this trait where our brain and body is just naturally inclined to focus on that which is negative in case we have to run. <laughs> and so that's why positive emotions are subtler and slower acting and negative emotions are more rapid and fast acting. And so there are two different systems. There's the endocrine response, with your uh, positive emotions, and then it's your nervous system response with your negative emotions. And so knowing that, okay, I'm naturally inclined to this stress response, will it matter in a year from now? This is my brain, you know, something I say to my clients all the time, this is a feeling or a fact, this stress response. So we're evaluating it. And fun fact, you can't experience a negative and a positive emotion at the same time. It's physically impossible. So we can start swapping them out with intention and inducement and sustained savoring to change the whole landscape of our brain. Mm. So now how many times when you're saying to do this 10 to 20 seconds, hold your focus uh, on the sky, how many times a day do you we need to do this? Or is this just once a day? At the outset, I would say once. But when we're looking at all of the different thresholds um, where we can access positive emotions, they're so plentiful. Um, savoring a nice hot cup of coffee, looking at a picture of someone that you love, having a sweet memory come to mind, focusing on your future with hope and anticipation for positive things to come. All of these are called applied positive interventions. And whether they're focused on gratitude, past, present, future, they give you that nutrient bump. Because mm. for me, it's it's like I, I, it's it's all about slowing down. But we, if we have a negative bias, then we automatically our default position is to think negative. Correct? Is to think. see is to see is to uh, evaluate danger. Mm. 
And what does that do? I mean, what, I mean, we know that stress is really bad for the body, but what does that do to our body? Thinking in that in um, that way. Yes, a cardiovascular damage to the heart. So um, a great example is um, uh, fake smiles. If you are surrounded by too many people who give you fake smiles on a regular basis, it'll actually cause tears in your heart. So wow. being aware, yeah. I've not heard of that. I've not heard of fake smiles because, I mean, it's. I always say I know that by smiling, the, how what it actually does to your brain for yourself, you can actually lift your spirit a little bit by just smiling because it, of all the muscles and it releases all these beautiful chemicals. And thus when you look at somebody else, you trigger them smiling. But I've not heard of fake smiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some science and language to it. And it's, it's really, you know, in positive psychology, you know, the goal is not to deny the presence of negativity or to deny that bad things happen, but it's to hold that which is negative up with equal measure alongside of that which is positive and begin to tune into that which is positive also. And doing that repairs cardiovascular damage. It repairs your heart in many different ways. So it gives you a huge health benefit to act in this way. So you're saying if somebody's uh, giving us a fake smile or somebody's uh, behaving a certain way, uh, rather than us hang on to that emotion and think in a negative manner, we should lift or, or stretch that thinking to um, how can we see this in a positive light uh, and maybe not take it so personally. I'm just trying to put a sense on how could we apply this. Yeah, I tend to think of it as a catch and release or a tool that I offer often is just saying no thank you. If you're if you're having an experience where you feel really terrible, um, perhaps you've seen a news headline that is troubling or, you know, a, a really um, interesting manifestation of how negativity bias works is gossip. You know, no one ever sits down and says, let me tell you how great so-and-so is doing, right? It's always negative. So, so to catch the fact that this is something negative that I don't need to accept or internalize in my life and to simply observe it and say, huh, that's interesting. That's probably negativity bias and no thank you. And I'm going to choose to shift my focus to something positive, like how cute my dog is or a picture of my grandma or a song that I really love. So we're swapping out the negative experience with a positive experience to limit the impact of that nervous system punch and start to induce our endocrine system to pump those feel-good hormones for us. Mm, I could relate to that and I, I just uh, I don't watch the news purely because I am extra sensitive and as soon as somebody starts telling me about something that's happened somewhere I always say stop 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 I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear it I don't want this as part of my in my life or as part of my filter I don't I don't need this information so I get what you're saying because I actually acknowledge it and shut it out. Yeah. And it feels so yicky when we have those, you know, punches of negativity that we didn't invite into our lives. Mm. And so this work in so many ways is about emotional boundary setting. Mm, and how do we do that? Because that's a, that's a really good one. I mean, we hear it all the time that we put up with, you know, friends or co-workers and you want to do the right thing and you want to be there for them and be present. Uh, 
And, you know, and they could be negative. They could be talking about their role, their job, their boss, you know, so how do we build those strong boundaries? Yeah, negativity uh, is contagious. There is a theory called social contagion, and you are more likely to adopt the habits of those who are around you. And it's so interesting because this manifests in physical behavior as well as internal chatter. Specifically among women, I came to be aware of a phenomenon called fat talk, where if you are consistently surrounded by uh, other women who speak poorly about their bodies, you will begin to develop that internal chatter for yourself and to internalize shame and feel poorly about your body. And so, you know, when we're looking at this, I like to take a really anti-shame approach and we don't blame individuals. We look at the system and we look at the evolutionary process and say, okay, this is an example of negativity bias. This is an example of social contagion and I don't have to be subject to it. So here awareness is really step one. It's the key to everything is taking that, as you said, slowing down and taking that step back and really taking that time to notice, hey, I don't like the way I feel right now and I have the power and capacity and right to change it. So whether you're saying to the person who's talking negatively, I really hear you and I want to validate your feelings, but I also um, want to bring a little bit of positivity to this conversation. Let's talk about something that's going well. Oh, I like that because then you're changing the direction, aren't you? And you're helping them shift their mindset. Exactly. And then you're getting that altruistic bump of positivity and then the switch you can't experience a negative emotion and a positive emotion at the same time so you're flipping it because mm. i know even with myself with boundaries i might say yes to something when i really want to say no and purely because i don't want to hurt their feelings or i care about what they think so mm. talk us through that one why do we care so wow. much about what other people think yeah, and and I and and it's so interesting that um so do I have your permission to ask you a little bit about what you experience? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So when you're when you're having that feeling of oh I don't want to hurt somebody's feeling, do you experience it anywhere in your body? What's the first signal that this isn't the right thing? Oh, it's always in my gut. It's in your gut. Always. Okay. Always. So that is an example of a somatic response. Soma is body. And your body always goes first. Your body always tells you what's going on. So common places that people experience that kind of response are in their throat, their stomach, their chest, their neck, and um, their back. And so if you're feeling that tightness, Getting really in tune with that is, is the very first signal to you that there's something going on that you might need to slow down and pay attention to. Mm. And then as far as why we care about what other people think, there's a lot of different ways that we could approach this topic. Um, humans are tribal creatures. Um, you know, we grew up in, in tribes that then became communities that became civilizations and cities. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why 
from an evolutionary perspective, um, humans are kind of bound to each other. One of the reasons is that it creates social order. If someone is acting really poorly, um, there's going to be social consequences <laughs> for that <laughs> because it's not good for the whole. It's not good for the unit. Um, also, a lot of this can be traced back to the um, Industrial Revolution. So before the Industrial Revolution, folks grew up in communities that were pretty closed communities. People didn't, some folks traveled widely, but for the most part, humans pretty much stayed put unless they were, you know, really nomadic. When we were in those communities, character tended to be the thing that people cared a lot about was their character. And one of those, one of the reasons for it was, um, you knew whose family of origin was by how people looked. If somebody had a certain nose, you would probably know they were so-and-so's brother because they were small communities. When people started moving around after the Industrial Revolution and going to cities, that's when commodification of ourselves and our bodies and our beings really came into play because people didn't know each other. And so they needed to have a way to measure and evaluate each other, strangers on the street. And this is where designer goods started coming into play. So that set up this conceptual dynamic of comparison one against the other. If this person can afford a certain pocketbook or wears a certain brand that tells me something about that person, and then there that creates the default of I then must measure myself against that standard. Mm, that's really interesting. It's fascinating. The other thing that came to mind too is when we're talking about what you know, concerned about uh, what others uh, think or feel uh, and it goes back to boundaries. I see this more commonly in women not knowing how to say no. So mm -hmm. they say yes to whatever uh, and, uh, and they leave themselves out of the equation, leaving themselves burnt out and overwhelmed, which has happened to me. Um, why do you think that is? Why is it co more common in women than men? Probably socialization and then, you know, really looking back at um, the the role of, of, of women to be caretakers, to be supportive, to sacrifice the self physically, mentally, emotionally, even the act of childbirth, you know, giving mm -hmm. up, surrendering control over your body. So it's it's been for millennia part of the female condition. Um, also, you know, considering women as a colonized minority where we don't have access to the same equitable resources as men do. Um, and it's, it's just true. And so when we look out into the world, a lot of times women are socialized to say, okay, well, how can I take care of myself? And we've been taught to, um, understand that the way to go about it is to be pleasing. Yeah, so true. No, it makes a lot of sense. So, Noelle, I'm curious, throughout your amazing, adventurous journey, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned thus far? Know thyself. Mm. Know thyself. And, and, you know, that really ticks us off to, you know, our internal values 
as a compass, because as we're talking about, you know, the wonderful inducement of positive emotions and setting boundaries for ourselves and speaking up and taking a step back and slowing down, you know, the question I ask my clients is, well, what is the outcome that you want? And so many individuals, especially women, can't answer that. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my wants and needs are. I don't even know if I feel like I'm allowed to have them. And so what I've learned is that the only thing I can truly be sure of is who I am and what my own values are, what my own compass is and what my own needs and wants are. So taking the time for that very personal journey of discovery will orient you as to how you want to use awareness and boundary setting to navigate the world. So how does one evoke their values if they've never done that kind of work before? A lot of checking in, a lot of noticing, and it's a, it is such a deeply uh, unique process for every individual. And the, the evaluative nature of it is something that you can only do for yourself. So at every turn, ask yourself, am I having fun right now? Do I like this? Is this something that I enjoy? Am I not having fun? Is this something that I don't enjoy? Am I intellectually stimulated? Am I bored? Am I searching for something else? Am I intellectually starving? Am I emotionally starving? And begin to have those conversations and notice what does work. What Mm. gives you energy? What is life affirming? What is life giving? And how would you guide someone to build strong boundaries? Because you were talking about know thyself. So know exactly what is important to you, what's okay, what's not okay, your values, your boundaries. How does one build strong boundaries? Oh, goodness. So that also goes back to this concept of noticing and noticing when you feel that tightness. And then the second part is bravery to say, no, thank you to whatever it is, whether you're internalizing somebody else's emotion, um, that whether you're subject to a negativity rant that you really just don't need in your life, whether you're being asked for the gift of your time and your, your, pot is empty. Your tank is empty. You don't have anything to give and being vulnerable and honest in those moments and kind and saying, no, thank you. Mm, I like the way you actually said bravery to be able to create your boundaries and to say no, because it does take a lot of courage to actually stand in your truth and say, no, thank you. Yes, it does. Mm. So the other thing that we love to ask our woman of inspiration is about pain points. We believe everyone's got pain points. What would be a pain point for you and how do you work through your solution to your pain point? Oh, a pain point for me is probably the internalization and taking on um the emotions of other people. I am also very sensitive and I care deeply about other people and their experiences, especially my coaches and my team. And there are just some problems that aren't solvable. (laughs) The best we can do is to work on them. And so to cut myself some slack with compassion and acknowledge that as a leader, 
I'm responsible for showing up every day and I'm also responsible to myself. And so setting those boundaries so that I can engage in, you know, well-being and take care of myself so that I can show up for other people and be aware when I'm taking on something that's really not mine. Mm, I so relate to that. I think I'm a thing with both empaths. I pick up on other people's things all the time and don't even realize that I'm carrying it until I have a conversation with my husband. He goes, hang on a minute, Catherine, is this really your stuff or is this somebody else's stuff? And when I realized that it's not my stuff all the time, it really helped me identify that I too carry other people's emotions. Yes. Yes. And then once you realize that you're carrying someone's emotions, you can give it back to them. Mm, yes, you can. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so true. So, Noelle, you work with lots of different individuals and I'm sure you work with a lot of people that are in business as well. What do you think would be a reason or a number one reason people fail to succeed in business because you hear it all the time like you'll be lucky to survive your first 12 months and you're like four years in accidentally Um, yeah so what do you think is the reason yeah exhaustion okay um exhaustion and grit um I, you know, I've, I've been working on this particular project, um, that's come to fruition for seven years now. And there are so many ups and downs. And I think that because we hold such a, a classical ideal of what life is supposed to look like and what success is supposed to look like, that when you have those days, those months, even sometimes a whole year where nothing is going well, nothing looks like the model of success. And in fact, everything is going backwards. That's when people crumble. (laughs) That's when people throw in the towel. And when you're at that point, if you're listening, um, I can provide a beacon of hope from the other side and say, hang in there turn to your values, turn to your why, what gets you out of bed in the morning and keep going. Mm. There's, it reminds me of a story once some, I remember, I can't remember whether, it might have been Napoleon Hill was sharing a story about somebody wanting to throw in the towel when we were three feet away from gold. And I'll always have that in my head. Um, I've been in business for over 10 years now, but it's, it's that, there's so many times where I've wanted to throw, throw in the towel and just go, yeah, I'm, this is just way too hard. So how do you, what's your trick? Like, how do you, what's your persistence? Because you, you, humor, humor, I love it. Humor. The joke in my office is that my next job is going to be a barista. I'm going to work at a coffee house and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. And I can't wait. Um, and on the hard days, you know, my team will send me coffee emojis. (laughs) to get me through. But, you know, you have to, you have to laugh, you know, and also I think that measured view of reality of holding up the good with the bad and saying, okay, you know, everything might be going backwards for the next 12 hours, but there is going to be something good, something I can find joy in some way that I can sustain myself through this. Because mm, I, I mean, it's it's you're in a unique position. Most of the times, um, the people we've had on the show have always wanted to be in business, have have planned for it. And where it's it, you, you've accidentally fallen into this role where you're a CEO of a company and very successful. Um, and 
it's it's almost like it's just naturally happened this way and you've gone with the flow. There hasn't been a lot of, you know, you hear people like the perseverance, determination and grit to not get anywhere where you've done the opposite. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's not been, uh, it, I would be doing a disservice to say that it's not been without blood, sweat and tears and, and times that I have been just literally on my knees and, you know, once I decided to take the plunge, I had a tremendous responsibility to the people who have come through my organization, to the people who have paid their tuition dollars to become successful. So it became something that was greater than me in so many levels. And, you know, I if it were not for that responsibility, I probably would have thrown in the towel quite a while ago. Mm. So no doubt you would have hit some roadblocks or some obstacles. How did you get through it over and or under your roadblocks or obstacles? Looking um, looking for solutions in unexpected places, probably. Mm. Um, and, you know, because I, I think that a lot of times when you're really tied to an outcome, that's when there's this concept of failure that's attached to it. And if you don't hit that outcome, you failed. When in reality, there are many things, there are many possible outcomes for any given scenario. And just to be open to say, well, let's see what the outcome is and to not attach a value proposition to it. We have a saying in my shop that there's no such thing as failure. It's all just data. Mm, yeah. That's what we say too. We say there's no such thing as failure. There is feedback or there is no such thing as a problem. They are opportunities. That's beautiful. That's how we get through our roadblocks. So every time we hit an obstacle, it's like, awesome, this is an opportunity. And it, I think it opens up your mind to having or finding solutions. Like you said, it may be unexpected places. Yes, and, and just taking the twists and turns as they come from a perspective of curiosity. You know, it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Well, what will happen if I take the red pill? <laughs> I don't know. That's it. So true. That's so true. So, Noelle, what do you think is one quality that everyone must have? Compassion. Mm, compassion. That is that is easier said than done. I mean, I... I find myself uh, quite often saying to myself, let's be a little bit more compassionate to, to your way of thinking or to your ways of working, um, more caring, more loving, more kind, easier said than done. What are your thoughts? It is uh, easier said than done. One of the philosophies I love comes from Kristen Neff. She combines positive psychology and Buddhist tenets, and she has several mantras around compassion and very specifically self-compassion. And her view is that all humans can find connection to each other in the experience of suffering, that all humans at one point or another experience grave suffering. And we can look out into the world in those moments and not only connect with ourselves, but with all of humanity. And so when you're trying to tap into compassion 
it's this universal experience of suffering and you're not alone and you never will be alone. And to drop down and say, well, this is part of the natural evolution of life, just as the turning of the seasons. So true, very true. So, Noelle, as we start wrapping up the show, if you had to pick one word that best describes your personal brand, what would be that one word for you? Empathy. Mm, love empathy. Talk us through that one. What would be the difference between empathy and compassion? Compassion is more of um, I feel sorry for your suffering. I, 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 you know, I feel, I feel bad for you. Um, empathy is, is I understand mm. your suffering. I can stand beside you. Right. Thank you for, for that. And the other thing that we do as we wrap up the show, last question is what are three shiny gold nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? And they could be three practical exercises for our audience. Yes. So the first one is that positive emotions are fruits and vegetables for your brain. To in, Then the second one is to induce positive emotions. You need to sustain them for 10 to 20 seconds, the 10 to 20 second rule. And the third one is to hold that which you might find uncomfortable or negative up right alongside of that which is also uh, abundant and beautiful in your life. And I guarantee one, two, three punch, it will change your experience. Oh, I love all three, Noelle. Thank you so much. So where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Journey.co. So J-R-N-I is pronounced journey. And that is our website and we also have for special podcast listeners journey.co backslash podcast where you can find a wonderful guide to life coaching if you're interested in hearing me and what I do and all of the sciences that I talk about. Thank you. We'll have those in the show notes. Noelle, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, for sharing your wealth of uh, wisdom, your time and your energy. Thank you so very much. It's been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at katherineplanner.com. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.